Kevin Barker, the uh, Jays managed to get some mileage out of Yusei Kikuchi on Thursday. And uh, good news, thumbs up for that. Matt Chapman still hitting. Bueno, 18 home runs. Matt Chapman's going to finish with a nice... You finish with a nice year. If you imagine if Matt Chapman gets it up to around 255, 260 with all those home runs, some more doubles, I mean, a great year for Matt Chapman. Um, Jordan Romano got four outs for the second time in five games, even though it's the Detroit Tigers. Don't downplay it. Four outs is four outs. And uh, that's the good news. There is some concern coming out of that. 5-3 win over the Tigers last night. And the only reason we're mentioning is because we are it's July 28th. The trade deadline is August 2nd. And George Springer, <clears throat> pardon me, George Springer couldn't finish the game uh, after aggravating that, that elbow injury. John Schneider, uh, after the game, I think he used the phrase high impact. He said George Springer had a high impact game, which he did, diving for a catch, making a couple of throws from the outfield. Now, it... it it wasn't as if it was a highly unusual game for an outfielder to, to go through. We've mm-hmm. seen outfielders have, have to have games like that. But it is a reminder of the fragile state of George Springer's elbow. It is a reminder that George Springer doesn't play 162 games a year. He won't play 162 games a year at any point during the life of this particular contract. It's just not going to happen. And I'm wondering, Kevin, if as we approach the trade deadline, that situation and John Schneider made clear that the elbow felt better and they will examine it, take a look at it again today. Mm -hmm. Was that a reminder to you that maybe in addition to focusing on pitching, which has to be the focus on the trade deadline, the Jays maybe need to be considering the possibility that at some point leading up to the playoffs, you might you might have to give George Springer a couple of days off here and there. Not just one day, you may have to give him a couple of days off here Or maybe he DHs more. You you have to ask yourself, if he's just DHing... Can he do that with a sore elbow? uh, Well, it seems to me like... He's a two-hand finisher, you say. Seems to me like he hurts it more when he's diving in the outfield. Like he dove and then he had an at-bat where, you know, he keeps both hands on on the bat and that seems to... To whatever it does, flare it up, make it hurt worse. So maybe you think about more DH in them than than playing him in the outfield. And and would that hurt your defense? I, I would think not. I mean, Tapia, if he has to play center, you know, Zimmer. I, I don't like the Zimmer thing because that means he's getting more bats. You don't really want that. So you're you're thinking more if you're okay with Tapia playing a little bit more center, which I am. I, I think his at bats. Uh, he's a he's a decent defender. He's going to catch the balls he's supposed to catch. He'll hit the cutoff guy. All the things that go into being. A guy that's not going to hurt your team, I'm okay with that. And you wonder if they'll DH him more. I, I know, again, you, you mentioned the 162-game season. Yeah, who, who plays that? Uh, Bo Bichette? Bo Bichette, maybe. Okay, maybe. That's, that's your, your, you probably count them on one hand in baseball. Who's doing that at the most two hands? So, you know, that, that for me, I want the best George Springer September and October. And I've said this to you since they signed him, that that's why he's here. He is here to be an aircraft carrier September and then go running into October. It's okay about the the you know what he gives you up until that point, but September and October, so you want him healthy. They're smart, they're a smart organization. They get they know what they got. 
You know, they know what they got around him. Now, will you miss him if he has to have a little time off, a breather leading off? Absolutely. But they've shown you enough that they have enough leadoff hitters that they're smart with that spot, that it doesn't disrupt everybody else's routines and you're putting people out of positions that they don't like, that you can fill in that spot if you have to fill it in. And that they're, you know, look at the bright side. I, to answer your question, it's about pitching, pitching, and more pitching. I, if they get another outfielder, that's icing on the cake. But for me, it has to start with pitching. It has to end with pitching. Which is a good jumping off point to discuss last night's game. A 5-3 win over the Detroit Tigers. You say Kikuchi, five innings pitch, two hits, one earned run, five strikeouts, one walk, gives up a home run. Danny Jansen just force feeds him fastball, 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 fastball. Don't think we saw a cutter all night from him. Uh, what was it, 65 pitches? I mean, it was economical, 67 pitches. His slider had more break uh, uh, vertically than it had before. Yes, it's the Detroit Tigers. They are amongst the worst hitting teams in baseball. But, Kevin, we saw Yusei Kikuchi implement all the stuff we were told he was going to implement in that game. And that hasn't always been the case. I mean, he's always kind of teased you. You know, Pete Walker's told us, his bullpens are great. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have been great. Mm-hmm. Then he goes into the game and it's like, whatever you saw in the bullpen doesn't translate to the game for whatever reason. Yesterday might have been the first start, certainly the first start in a while, where you say Kikuchi lived up to what the Blue Jays expected him to give them. Well, it sounds that when you listen to yourself talk that the expectations aren't real high. With you he's, say, he's my fifth starter. Oh, Five and fly. Five and fly yeah. right now, I'm happy with, yeah, with he th- that. Yeah, he threw some non-competitive pitches early in the game, which didn't destroy his entire outing, which we've seen that a lot, where mm-hmm. if he throws once, not even close, it just he just can't get it back on the tracks. And we saw last night, the force-feeding thing, I don't know really how to take that. I I think it's now that he's had some time off, he knows what it feels like when it's bad. That, for me, is the big adjustment. He has a fluid leg kick. Now you saw that. The natural arm slot. Natural arm slot is, uh, and some people that are watching us on TV, natural arm slot is one that he doesn't have to force it to a new area. Right When it comes out of the glove, he raises his leg. It's fluid. It's not two separate leg kicks. It's fluid. When it comes out of the glove, it's naturally going to a slot. He's not thinking about, okay, I got to get it higher because I don't want to throw a cutter anymore. I want to throw a slider. And the only way I can get it to break the way I want to is to stay on top of it. Now, they're not really worrying about that. It's more about that fluid. When I raise it, it's just naturally coming out of my glove. It's naturally going to the slot. It's going now because I can throw it where it's just not. I'm not thinking about it anymore. So I think that's more important than actually force feeding the fastball. Everybody says that. It's an easy fix, right? Just throw it as many times as you want to throw it. Well, that doesn't work at the big league level. I'm going to be honest. you got to be able to locate it outer thirds, inner thirds, be able to expand it with two strikes. Now, it helps to have a catcher behind the plate who knows what he's doing. Put the fingers down. You know, he'll throw a bad slider. He threw a bad slider last night. Back it up, throw it again. Like, you know, that gets back to that. Mm-hmm. He's done it so much now off the field that when he throws a bad one, self-correct. That's what big leaguers do. Big leaguers. 
Not a guy trying to be a big leaguer. Big leaguers who have been there and done it before. That's why you give them a little bit of money so you don't have to see them working it through out there trying to figure it out. They've done it so much, now they know. That's sort of, for me, what it looked like last night. First couple of fastballs he threw were non-competitive. All over the place. He was missing uh, arm side, wasn't even close. And then he missed, he choked one off because he tried to make an adjustment and it went down and away. And then you could just tell, huh? Now I know because I did it in my bullpen. I know how to fix that. Mm -hmm. And then you didn't see as many of them. And that's good now is the, is 13, the of, 13 of 18 first pitch strikes. Excellent. Pretty so, good so he's too. pitching ahead. He has confidence that he can self-correct now. He, he has a, na a natural arm slot. Uh, you know, he has a fluid leg kick, which is a big deal. Uh, you know, he threw more split changes last night than he threw sliders. I didn't see a cutter. Now, again, he may have gripped it like a cutter, but it sure to me looked like slider, right? It's those things, Jeff, whenever you're a pitcher and it's moving opposite directions of each pitch. And what I mean by that is if I want to throw a four-seamer, that thing's coming off my fingers and it actually looks like a four-seamer. If I throw a slider, it's actually got the spin like a slider. It breaks like a slider. Right, if I if I put a little bit more pressure on my thumb, I can maybe get it going twelve six like he did last night, and then all of a sudden now I can throw my split change. But because I'm doing mechanically everything right and I've got my natural arm slot, it's going where it wants to go, and I can process now that my mechanics are all right because the pitches that I'm throwing look different. It's not like the cut. Is it a cutter? Is it a slider? Really, nobody had any idea. If you watched him last night, you had every idea what he was throwing. For me, that's a big deal. So. The Minnesota game, I think that's his next start. That, for me, will be the next one. It, can he back it up? Can he have two, you know, starts in a row where he's building confidence and he can have that routine now that he knows if I do it this way because now it's worked. And if Danny Jansen, I'm sure Danny Jansen is going to catch him from now on because it just looks different. He acts different. He's a different pitcher. Well, you mentioned yesterday going into the start, his ERA with Danny Jansen behind the plate is really good. Uh, he's had just he, everybody who's caught for the Blue Jays has caught Yusei Kikuchi, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everybody. Heineman has caught Yusei Kikuchi. I mean, it doesn't take a khaki to, to look at stats when you got four different catchers catching a guy and one of them's got an ERA of three and a half and the other one's got ERAs over five. I mean, I didn't take a brain surgeon to go, well, maybe that guy should catch him all the time. It just, it, it, look, it looks, sometimes I think guys on the mound need that guy to just go i got this i put it down i push the button you throw it Here, here's uh and this is kind of getting back to how we started our discussion about george springer in the lineup if george springer has to dh how do you get alejandro kirk's bat in the lineup on days when danny jansen catches that's a great question that's a great question like you that that means you're gonna have to figure out who you would rather have offensively in the game. I'm I, There's certain guys that Danny Jansen has to catch for me. And then there's other guys that he doesn't. You know, like Manoa and, and Kirk are a thing. That's well, No question, that's no question. I'm not saying that George Springer is going to have to DH every single day, but if that's what keeps him in the lineup and he's more important to your team offensively than he is trying to do it on both sides of the ball, and you can tell it's just – it seems to me like now I'm not in the – off the field with him, but it just seems to me like it's when he dives and he lands on an elbow, that affects his swing. And then that's when you start to see him try to extend it like he did last night. He got a cookie, but he couldn't extend it and get it out there, and then he popped it up or whatever he did to it. That seems like that's 
when it affects him the most. Well, why, why try and have him do both if he, if, if you need him offensively, which he is for me, he's more important offensively than, than he is on both sides of the ball. So that'd be an interesting thing. I'm not saying that they are going to have to do that, but if they had to do that, then you figure out everybody else. I yeah. think that's the way it is, right? Yeah, I, I that gets back to, uh, you know, going into the trade deadline, looking at a guy like Ian Happ, who, if you have to, can play every day for you. Uh, I, 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 we want Springer for the postseason. Maybe the the option is to have a better bat in the lineup and give George Springer more days off to keep him days off, not just DH him but more days off to let him heal and get ready for the postseason. I mean, it has to be a talking point with the Blue Jays. It, it has to be. And, um, you know, George Springer has come out and said, look, the elbow is something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of the year. And Well, I can tell you what would really help, help though, if you got another starting pitcher who was really good and been there and done it before, and you got a couple more swing and miss arms out of the bullpen that wouldn't allow guys to put balls in play. Yeah, that would sure help a lot. That for me is more important. I understand what your what your point is about you you know you want to fill in the blanks with all parts of the team that are a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, what, what do I do here cuz if I have to do this then that affects everybody else that I want to do things with. Well, sometimes you can't fix everything. But I know pitching and defense wins championships. I do know that. So, you know, you, do you want to go defender first in the outfield? George Springer's a really good defender. Like he gets mm-hmm. he runs really good routes. Uh, he he is has great timing on when he leaves his feet. Have you ever noticed that? Like that that for me is jumps. Like yeah, again, been there and done it before. I I can have a outfield coach tell me move over because he has all the stats in front of him about you know this guy throws this and if he hits it in this count the ball will go here. So that's good that you move me over. That's your job to help me do that. But it's not your job to tell me to get a good jump. You watch George Springer. He gets really good jumps. That's why he's able to leave his feet when he's supposed to leave his feet. That's second to none for me. So it's how do you do it? Is it better to give him days off? Like you mentioned, just a complete day off. That way that doesn't disrupt Kirk, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., or whoever else you want to DH that day. So it's, it is a, I would think that it's probably something that they probably don't want to try and handle down the stretch. George Springer is one of those players that this is why you gave him all this money is because you know that you are hoping that you're a playoff team and September and October is when he's going to thrive. So how do you get him as healthy as possible to be able to do that? Jordan Romano. Let's talk about Jordan Romano for a little bit. Uh, Four outs. Third time this year he's been asked to do it. Second time in, I believe, five games. He was asked to do it uh, on July 23rd in the 4-1 win over Boston. Jordan Romano's kind of had... He's an interesting guy to me because Shai Davidi and I did this exercise in the press box the other day where you look at things like his strike percentage, strikeout percentage, you know, they're... He gets more strikeouts than you think he does. But he also gives up contact. He doesn't miss as many bats as you'd probably like your closer to miss. Are we seeing, though, a almost a philosophical shift under John Schneider compared to Charlie Montoyo, where we are going to see 
We're going to see John Schneider use Jordan, be more aggressive with Jordan Romano. Okay, it's almost like they they didn't use him as much at the beginning of the season, so they could have almost abused him. There were late in the season. There were times it looked like they were avoiding him. Well, you think early about that for a second, right? You, you, maybe that was more about what it was. Is we'd rather have him. It's the George Springer thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd rather have that ninety nine with that slider a lot late in the season than you would the beginning of the season. We have enough that we can make up for it beginning of the season. You hope your offense can carry you. Now, I don't have anything to base that off of, but yeah, it sure it sure it makes you think that way when you look at big picture here, how they're using him now. I, I think a lot of that, too, is they don't have a choice. I mean, that J- Jimmy Garcia, if he doesn't have his slider, is he, is he, a, you know, is he an eighth-inning guy? Is he an eighth-inning guy against a really good team? He's a sixth or seventh-inning guy. If you I, I need this. You can't have insurance against everything. I, I get this. But you, you watched Jimmy Garcia last night, and I don't know if I want him setting. I No, I don't. I don't want him being my setup guy. I'm okay having him in the bullpen. I'm okay maybe, you know, we know that John Schneider looks at those those three batter pockets. I'm sure there are pockets where you look at Garcia and go, He's the guy. That's the guy we want out there. But th- this is where we, the discussion about more swing and miss stuff in the back end of the bullpen, it doesn't just necessarily, there are ways to do it without taking Jordan Romano out of the equation as your closer, right? There are ways of bolstering the guys, the bridge to Jordan Romano. And that's what I think maybe the focus, where I think the focus needs to be. And it's where you should be able to get some business done. Because mm-hmm. as I said, every team in baseball has got those guys. They really do. Sure. They really do. Well, you remember having when we had Jordan Romano on our show, it was a while ago, and he was saying offseason, he really thought about throwing more strikes. You mentioned the not having as much swing and miss. Get some, but he gives up some barrel. Like, he hits some barrels. Yeah. That, for me, is more of a, I want to attack the strike zone. I don't want to nibble around the strike zone. If they're going to beat me, they're going to have to beat me. By Which is not a bad – it's not a bad – it's it's not a bad mindset it, it, for your closer it, to have, not, is it? It's not, but he has to remember, again, he is a crossfire guy. He's not a location guy with stuff. He is a stuff guy who wants to look at the big picture. There's my strike zone. I'm going to attack it, but I'm not going to nibble at it. So I may give up some contact. 98 nowadays is not 98 like it used to be when I played. Like, it's just not. They see so many 98s, so that would mean you have to locate it better, and you have to have a little element of surprise. He's trying to do both, and sometimes I don't know if he's capable of doing both. So, that's why you're seeing sometimes he'll flip the little get-me-over breaking ball, and he'll give up hard, hard contact with it. When Maybe he should just try and go out outer third with a little bit of movement because he has deception and it's hard to pick up and it's crossfire action against a right-handed hitter. Maybe you should try that. But that's not his mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's working. When something's working, you're not going to go against that. You're not going to try and reinvent the wheel if it's working. So he has made some mechanical adjustments. You know, they were, they were saying the stuff about his tipping pitches. I, for me, think sometimes you look at big pitcher. Maybe they don't want to use him as much in the beginning of the season as they do at the end of the season. And that may be why you're starting to see him throw more four pitch outs, four four batters, whatever it is. You know, they're trying to they're trying to save him because they think that the 94-95 with Jordan's not going to work. But the 98-99, we say this, and with Caleb Joseph's coming on our show later, we'll ask him why the fastball, why the velocity matters so much. We say it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear it from a catcher. I know what the answer is. But having that catcher tell you why late in games 
And that's why Jordan Romano can get away with a little cement mix and get me over slider because that hitter walks to the plate and has to respect 98-99. He knows he's got to get it down and get it singing to get it out front. So tip your hat. They're, they're, they're winning baseball games, Jeff, that they're supposed to be winning. Yep. That's what good teams do. Absolutely. Again, a 5-3 win last night for the Blue Jays. Game two of the four-game series goes tonight, 7-07. It will be uh, Alec Manoa on the mound for the Blue Jays against the Tigers. That game is uh, an Apple TV game exclusively. So the only place you'll be able to get, like, the Canadian content out of it. The Jays content is on sports and at 590, the fan with the two Ben's uh, Ben Wagner and Ben Nicholson Smith will be in the booth. Um, we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Kevin's already tipped you off. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jay central analyst, former Jays catcher. A couple of minutes, Craig Monroe is going to join us. He's a Detroit Tigers TV analyst and former MLB outfielder. We'll talk to, to Craig about the Tigers for my money. One of the most disappointing teams in baseball uh, maybe that's more a product of my higher expectations for them. I did have higher expectations, I think, certainly than you did. I think, Kevin, you, you thought that there were going to be some issues with this team. I just took a look at that division and said there's, you know, the Tigers are on the verge of becoming a real force in that division. Clearly, they have to have a bit of a rethink. Uh, we'll talk to Craig about the Tigers' bullpen because – Look, I, you don't need me to tell you this. If you've done any reading, whether on sportsnet.ca or in social media, you know that the Tigers and the Jays, the Tigers have relievers. The Tigers ran out guys last night like Will Vest, who'd look great in a Blue Jays uniform. They've got Soto. He'd look great in a Blue Jays uniform. I'll tell you what. And Michael Former's decent. And, and Shy's been all over the idea of if you if you have to get uh, another Another bat, another outfield bat. You could do worse than seeing if they'll throw Robbie Grossman in the deal as well. So these teams do seem to match up nicely, and we'll get a deeper, we'll get a a, a more detailed sense of what the Tigers relievers are from uh, from Craig Monroe. There was a trade last night after the conclusion of the Jays game. The New York Mets added Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal in a four-player swap with the Cincinnati Reds. Of interest to Jays fans, because Tyler Naquin profiles as the type of guy that the Jays might have been interested in. There is a Cleveland tie, but beyond that, he's a center fielder, left-handed hitter. Um, not necessarily the guy that you would want in your lineup every day, but but a good a good bench piece for piece for this team. Okay, I'll ask you, is he better than Tapia? I, I know the answer to that. No. So that's that for on me balance. Is, no, that for me is why I'd rather have Tapia play than him. Yeah. That that my, for me my, is sort my of only that name. It, the only well, the only thing is I'd rather have Tyler Naquin than Bradley Zimmer, or Zach Collins. I well again, that's you're you're, you're having it. a conversation about we know why those two guys are here. Yeah, but the the point is they're here, and if you could, but they rarely play. So it's like th- th- there's a reason they rarely play because they're not really good. All I'm saying is if you're looking to add a bench guy. You know, Tyler Naquin is a guy the Jays would have yeah. interest in. Uh, but anyhow, the, it doesn't matter. The New York Mets acquired him. And, uh, of course, they, you know, they, this is the trade deadline is Tuesday, so it, it's a very fluid situation. There's uh, a lot of reports. Are the Angels going to trade Shohei Otani? Are they not going to trade him? You know, uh, we watched MLB Network this morning. Joel Sherman did a good job, I think, of saying, okay, what is Shohei Otani? What would the price be for him? You're getting basically Matt Olson, 
as a as a hitter and a guy who could be an ace as your pitcher. And, you know, the quote unquote, the rumor is that the Angels have asked for basically haven't asked for, but the starting price, according to people in baseball, is your top four prospects. You know, that that's uh, you get him for a year and a half. For is a it, year and worth, a half. Is it worth it? He's a free agent 24. Yeah, he, and he's definitely going free agent. I, I don't know how you value the guy. I, I do not. We've never seen. Part of the issue with trading for a unicorn is <laughs> unicorns Unicorns never play, let alone, or never show up, let alone get traded. I can't see the Angels trading him. I mean, I know that there's, they, look, they're, a, they're in a horrible state right now. That Mike Trout back injury, however they paint it, it's not good when Mike Trout has got a bazillion years and a bazillion dollars left in his contract. And, well, just look at what we're talking about with George Springer. Multiply it by about 10 because Mike Trout is the guy with the Los it, Angeles it Angels. The Angels have to figure out what they are. The DH role, he, he'd be a perfect Blue Jay. The, the, the DH role, well, the way the Blue Jays. everybody. Well, I guess. Like, I, I understand what you're saying. The six-man rotation is the thing, too. He's been used to throwing that in L.A., you know, the, the the Kevin Gosman running out of steam last year, that makes sense. Alec Manoa, they're, they're going to maneuver some things around to, to give him a little bit more of a break. It would make some sense. Giving up four prospects, I, I, I if you're if you're L.A., you're, you trade him. Like, you, you the yeah, what, what you're going through, I mean, you're 30, what are they, how many games under 500? 30 games under 500? Yeah, it, but you know what? It does what? matter. No, it doesn't. You're looking at, you, you've got to look at the market. Um, you're in LA, you've got the Dodgers in the same market. You can't, you know, we always have this, this debate about what, whether or not a team can afford to rebuild. We, you know, we talk about the Boston Resocks reboot, rebuild. Can you do it in that market? I just, uh, if, if you can't win and keep you say, you, you say Kikuchi, and you're an L.A.-based team, a team in California. You literally have you everything Otani. going for you. Otani. Hmm? Otani. What did I say? You say Kikuchi. Oh, Kikuchi. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Got to get those two mixed up. If you can't keep Shohei Otani, then then you need to have a real you need to have a real think about not just where your franchise is is going on the field, but you got to think about where it's going on the, other off side the field too, as well. The way you've tried to do it has not worked. Has not worked. Like you, all this money that you're trying to throw into all these position players, had, just has not worked. But there's, but it ain't Shohei Otani's fault. Shohei Otani's given you. It's it's not. But he's you, given sometimes you, you got to th- not think with your heart and think with your head. And and he's, he's got an you, opportunity he's because value. of where that person is at. You're not going to get that value from any free agency. You're I, not going to get that value from any other player. Anyhow, you know John Heyman is saying the Angels are listening on everybody. Uh, and you know, for the first time, according to John Heyman, that includes Otani. Mm-hmm. I mean, who the hell knows? If you'd told me Juan Soto was going to be in the trade market at the start of the year, I would have laughed in your face. So whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's some. That is kind of, the, I guess, the latest wrinkle in the 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 trade market. As it appears, at least, as if the Angels are listening on Otani. Uh, Bob Nightingale is reporting, by the way, that the final four in terms of aggressive offers entering the weekend for Soto were San Diego, Seattle, St. Louis, and the Dodgers. None of that should come as a surprise. Mm -hmm. I think we fully expect Juan Soto, if he's dealt, to go to one of those four teams. So, lots ahead. August 2nd, 6 p.m. is the trade deadline. Keep it right here. You will hear all the news first. We will have all the analysis first. 
But the Jays, in the meantime, have three more games against the Detroit Tigers. Craig Monroe is a Tigers TV analyst, former MLB outfielder. He joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and English. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Caleb Joseph joins us at 11 o'clock. We'll have Barker's Back Lake Bits. DMs are open. Excited. It is a Friday. That's why you're excited. Talking baseball, Jeff. That's why I'm excited. Trade deadline is always fun. I never I never got to go through one of those. Wasn't a big deal to me. You were never dealt that it never moved the deadline. At spring training. Oh, that's Bre- yeah. Brewers right, San right. Diego. That's right. I forgot it. It was at spring training. Yeah. Were you in a major league team at a trade deadline? No, no. So you would have been. No, I'd either. Yeah, because in Milwaukee you were down down, right. or called up in August, end of August or September. Right. I just missed it. It, it is. It was interesting hearing Ross Stripling uh, on our show yesterday admit, and it shouldn't come as a surprise, but admit that guys you know, guys talk about it. Guys, you know, they're following along. The Yankees got Andrew Benintendi. Uh, not, not that I'm completely shocked, but I do think there's. You will hear athletes say, "I, I don't pay attention to anything that's going it's on." Very individual. It's a very individual thing because it, it affects you. Ross knows that if they get a legit pitcher in here, that could affect what he does for the Blue Jays. Right. That's why they. That's why they're well, tuning except, in and except checking. You, in you and, say Kikuchi's kind of. A, it's a, know, he's a bit I of a buffer that. for. I know that. For, but Ross. he's going to get a longer leash because of what they've paid him. So yeah, that's 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 that's, that's, that's it's very individual, and and they know it, which is you know, and they also know what they need to compete. They they know that they need more power stuff. They know that they need a left-handed bat. They know that. No question, they know that. Yeah. Um, but it it's. I think there's an expectation around the game around the industry, as people say, that uh, this trade deadline is going to be um, notable. I, I, there's, we've always had trade deadlines where big names have been rumored to be in the market. And sometimes it happened last year, Max Scherzer. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. When it comes to um, when it when it comes to when it comes to big name players, but I can't remember another time where so many people are so convinced that we could see a twenty three year old mm-hmm. left hand hitting outfielder whose numbers at this age are right there with Ted Williams and 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 the very 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 best players. Not just the best players of your generation or your dad's generation, but your grandfather's mm-hmm. generation. Hear these rumors and not be completely dismissive Pressure. of them. Pressure on GMs to get it right, too. Yeah, yeah you look at Ross. It's never been higher for him. For well, me. Th- this never is, been higher and, to and get it is, right. And, and this is what 
when when the playoffs expanded and the playoff system was overhauled and all of a sudden the wild card went from being a one game gamble to a three game mm-hmm. series this is this is exactly the the impact people wanted to see they 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 wanted to see it become worth your while to gamble a little bit to go to the wild card. But I'll bet you if you, if you ask GMs, the competition now amongst the GMs have never been higher because now you have more teams in the mix and more teams need basically the exact same thing. Yeah. So you got well, really, to be good at your job. And really, when you look at it, I mean, the Yankees have a big lead in the East. Houston's got a big lead in the Central. But I, I mean the other divisions, you know, the Dodgers, the Dodgers are awfully good. But there's there are a lot of teams that are still sort of on the cusp. You know, the, I mean there are, I find teams like the Chicago White Sox, Boston to a certain degree, but a team like the White Sox interesting. There there's there are a number of factors that work with the expanded mm-hmm. playoff system. And I think it's had it's had the exact, it's had there's, the exact there's some, benefit. There's some people that are still on the fence about the Blue Jays too. Are the Blue Jays really good? And can that be wavered one way or the other on what Ross Atkins does at the trade deadline? There's it, it's can they compete the Blue Jays against the top end teams, not the Seattle's and which they're going to have to. I know they're good enough to be. Are they good enough I, to beat the Yankees no, or the Astros? No question, no that's question. And that's that's ultimately and, and, the and question. And if you go out and just get a couple of arms and another starter, is that enough? Yeah. No, that that is a good point. Uh, I thought, I'm sure I wasn't the only one, I thought that the Detroit Tigers would still be at this stage of the season in the picture somehow for the postseason. Now, like a lot of a lot of people, I love the moves the Tigers made in the offseason, love the manager, love some of their young players. It just seemed to me that the Tigers were a franchise that was primed to maybe not completely surprise folks this year, but certainly primed to be in the position that next year you would have people looking at the Tigers and saying, you know, they have a shot at winning this division because I'm not as all in on the White Sox as I was before. Minnesota, they kind of scare me. You don't know what's necessarily going to happen with Carlos Correa. I just thought the Tigers were ready to make noise in the division. Instead, it's been another difficult season for A.J. Hinch and his team. Craig Monroe is the Detroit Tigers TV analyst. He is a former Major League outfielder. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Craig, thanks so much for your time this morning. Uh, I, I, I guess you could probably take half an hour to answer this question, but I'm, I'm just going to ask you a very basic question. Give me, give me two reasons that my expectations for the Tigers, which, as I said, were a team that could contend for a playoff spot, why that hasn't come true. What, in a nutshell, have been the major well, reasons the Tigers find themselves where they are? Well, we're going to start with the offense. I think coming into the season, the addition of Javier Baez. Here's a shortstop with the gold glove. He can pick it at shortstop. And you saw coming in 20, 25 home runs and driving in some runs. Well, he's gotten off to a sluggish start in the first half and really hadn't caught his stride. Now, he's had some stretches of where he's been driving the ball and, and he's driving and hitting big, big hits but not been Javier Baez that I kind of think everybody expected here in Detroit. Then I started to think about you got to look at what Scope and Eric Haas 
Robbie Grossman. These guys carried the offense last year. Grossman had a career year. Scope hit over 20 home runs, had like 80 RBIs. This year, these guys are hitting right at 200. So the guys that were supposed to carry the load from an offensive standpoint and taking some pressure off the young players, uh, they just haven't they just haven't been that productive. Now they've they've shown flashes, but they just haven't gotten it done. And then you start I started thinking about Akil Badu, the splash that he made last year. Even though he had just played above A ball, he hadn't played above A ball. I mean, he hit the ground running when he got to the big leagues of the Tigers and making the team out of spring training. He was hitting home runs. He was driving in runs. Uh, he had to take a trip down to Toledo. So the offense has just kind of been non-existent, to be quite honest with you. And then I started, we got to think about the injuries of the Tigers. Uh, that started rotation. We were expecting a lot out of guys like Casey Mize, Tommy John surgeon here. He's going to be out for the, what, the 18 months or however long that takes. Uh, we were also expecting Matt Manning uh, to, to, to be to eat up innings, but also take that next step. I mean, I mean, remind you guys, we've been waiting on the big three, Casey Mize, Manning, and Scooble. And everybody in Detroit, we're all excited about these three big arms, thinking that they are going to be a big part of why we turn this thing around. And then in the offseason, we went out and we signed El Guardo Rodriguez. Now, his ERA, and you guys have been at American League East, was maybe around a 4-3. You guys that are in a tough, tough division, especially some of the lineups, you guys in particular. Baltimore, even though, I mean, they're playing better baseball, but they have a potent lineup. They can beat you uh, with the bat. The Yankees, of course. Well, you're thinking his ERA is going to be around, maybe drop at least a point, maybe maybe a run, 3-3. He could dominate in the Central. Well, he hasn't been here. He's got some off-the-field issues, some family issues that he's taken care of. And so that's really been uh, the biggest problem, the big two big problems for the Tigers. I saw uh, a bias throw the ball away last night, and I saw, you know, they, they showed the camera over to A.J. Hinch, and he's shaking his head. How has Hinch handled this? You know what? He has been the <laughs> – He's been good at it. I mean, he, he's he's really good at not showing emotion. He's really – I think it's starting to wear on him now. I think one of the things that he had managers, and I guess you guys know this, mm-hmm. is that not playing clean baseball, not catching the – making the routine plays, giving teams extra outs. It just seems like we find ourselves shooting ourselves in the foot uh, because there's a couple plays that's not made. Uh, maybe you walk a batter, you walk two batters. Uh, it, it just it just seemed to snowball uh, on an, on any given day, and I think that's the frustration from AJ. When you uh, when you look at the Tigers and you look at their bullpen, I know when the series started, a lot of people around the Blue Jays, a lot of media members, a lot of fans. There's a lot of they're following this series with interest because of the Tigers relievers and because of the Jays have, they have a need for more swing and miss stuff in the back end of the bullpen. They, they, they have a need for, for relief help. I mean, they've been very open about it. And of course, and guys like Gregory Soto, uh, Joe Jimenez and, and Will Vest, uh, and the Tigers have, the Tigers have, have some, some pitchers that are at the right age and the level of controllability that they would really 
they would really fit in with the Blue Jays. What can you tell us about about Soto, Jimenez, and Vest in particular? Well, I can tell you that Vest uh, has really come into his own this season. He's really taken, he's kind of taking that next step. He's got a blazing fastball, 97, 98 miles per hour. He's got a knee-buckling curveball uh, that he uses. Uh, he can get ahead of you with it. He can put you away with it. Uh, and he's got this, he's got a little chip on his shoe. You know that he's got that thing about him that, like, he thinks he's better than the guy in the batter box. And so he doesn't back down. He likes to compete. So I love that about Vest. Uh, Joe Lemenez, this in the offseason, you know, pitched in winter ball. And he found his form. His hmm. velocity is back. It's around 95, 97. Uh, but his location, I mean, his command and being able to locate his fastball and his slider mix has really proven uh, to give hitters fits uh, in, the, in, in the batter's box. Now, Gregory Soto is a very uncomfortable, I mean, uncomfortable at bat. He can go out and he'll blow you away with 102, 103 mile per hour fastball, and then he got this wipeout slider uh, that he hasn't thrown that much because he's kind of adjusted himself. He's throwing a four seam fastball, and he's added that two seam fastball, and he and he's really working at the top of the zone. Hadn't had that best his best field for a slider, but it's still a pitch that is effective and he can show it to you just to get you off the fastball. Uh, but just know this: it's going to be your heart. He can, he can, he can make your heart pound because he, he can, he's going to walk a guy, and then he'll strike out the next two guys. It's just you don't want to be in the batter's box up against Soto, and I think that's what makes him effective. To be quite honest with you, the pitchers that are always around the plate, the hitters in the batter's box, we're comfortable. Those are the guys you want to face. You don't want to face the guy that you might get buzzed one time or two, and then he can paint three pitches down in the way for you. So if you go ahead and get Gregor Soto, you've got a guy that I believe that you can trust. Going to be a little bit eventful, but he's going to get it done. Greg, how about Michael Fulmer? What do you think of him? Well, there's every, I like everything about him. I mean, coming in as a, from the, when we traded him, from getting him from the Mets, he was he was a starter. We saw that you know he was an all star uh, as a starter here with Detroit, and then when he went down with the Tommy John, so since he's come back and he's accepted the fact that oh, we believe you can be most effective in the bullpen, he's accepted that challenge. He, he and, and he has taken off. He now has a he, he throws a slider and he throws it quite often, but he but, he, but it's not the the typical slider. It's more of a, he doesn't have uh, vertical break on him, much vertical break anymore. He's using it more, it, I say it's a cutter, but he's, he wants to call it a slider, so, but it's more horizontal. And, and it's a pitch that he has the most confident in, and hitters are not picking it up. He's getting tons of swings and misses. Matter of fact, in a high leverage situation, be it in the seventh, the sixth, eighth, it doesn't matter. A.J. Hens feels most, probably most confident going to, to Michael Fulmer. He's been that good in those situations. There's another guy you guys didn't mention. It's Alex Lang. Got a chance to see him a little bit last night. Mm-hmm. In the, I think in the seventh inning. This, this kid is wicked. 
He's got a like a right at about ninety eight to hundred mile per hour fastball. He throws a ninety mile per hour changeup, and he's got a curveball that's not quite honest to it. Michael Fulmer is tinkering with the grip of it because he wants to add this pitch because it's been so effective uh, for Alex Lane. So the bullpen has definitely been our bright spot uh, this season. There's no question about it. Juan Nieves, our bullpen coach, has done an excellent job of getting these guys ready, prepared, and and holding them to a high standard. And they've accepted the challenge. Greg, really good of you to join us today. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, man. Thanks a lot. Great stuff. No, no, thank you guys for having me. Be well. Craig, Craig Monroe, Detroit Tigers TV analyst and former MLB outfielder. So there you go. It's like getting a trade deadline primer in the Tigers bullpen because there are there are a bunch of guys that, that would fit nicely in here. Well, the, Al, Alec Lang, the last guy he yeah. talked about, I didn't mention him because he's just I, – I don't even know his service time. If Five, the, five they, seasons of control is, is, a, yeah, is I mean, a big deal. What would he cost? Oh, a lot. Yeah, and if, if I'm the Tigers, now I, I – you know, I've already committed to Baez. I've got Torkelson. I got some young guys here coming up. I, I don't want to back up the truck completely. I'm looking at a guy with five years of control with that stuff. That's the type of guy I'm going to be trading for in two years, right? That's the type of guy I'm going to be looking for in two years if I'm a contending team. So I, I don't touch him. But boy, you know, I was doing some reading as Craig was talking. Guys like Joe Jimenez, mm-hmm. uh, Soto is a name that has intrigued people for a while. Those are the kind, and Will Vest is a guy, those are the kind of acquisitions that I think the Jays need to be looking at. Sure. The bias deal for Detroit is a, is a I don't know about that. You, you see Hinch over there shaking his head. You see a manager shaking his head about, about your shortstop. It's never a good thing, is it? So I'm not sure how they feel about that. Yeah, I, again, know, it's, it's a be, half a year. And, you and, can't necessarily be surprised by what you're seeing from Javier Baez because this is kind of, you know, not as bad as he's been, but this is sort of the, this is the, the, the this is the mm-hmm. player he is. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe Javier, the difference is Javier Baez, Javier Baez is a good guy to have as your Scotty Pippen. You need someone else to be the Michael Jordan. You need someone else to be the guy mm-hmm. on your team. Have your bias is a good player to have, but there's just too much inconsistency to make him your your showpiece guy. You need somebody who is a little more consistent. But just uh, you know, hearing Craig run down the 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 injuries in that as well that that, that the Tigers uh, the Tigers have suffered. It's yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult because they're they're locked in still to Miguel Cabrera. You've got to manage that situation, and that's going to become, frankly, more of an issue next year. If, in a way, the Tigers are lucky that that this is they're not lucky because mm-hmm. they'd rather be contending. But one of the questions going into spring training for the Tigers was how do you manage the decline of Miguel Cabrera? That's not always easy. Sure. How do you manage the decline well, of a Hall of Fame player? And, of course, that now is not an issue because the Tigers aren't contending. So you put Miggy out there every day, and you're fine. Well, they're not hitting. They're not hitting. They have youth in their rotation. They have a good bullpen. They needed to hit. Scoobles tremendous. And they're not hitting. Yeah. That, that's a big deal. And, and, and that doesn't seem like a, a, a tough fix. You can find hitters. Well, you figure that, you figure that 
this is why I don't like don't necessarily buy into the idea that the Tigers have to back up the truck and move everybody sure. out. If I've got those young pitchers, and and newsflash, young pitchers all don't mature at the same nope. time. But Scooble has come through for you. So if I've got that young pitching as a base, if I can get one of those other two guys to come through for me, it's 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 not that this team is an entire mess. I've got the I've got a workable bullpen. Mm-hmm. I've got a workable bullpen. My bullpen's good enough that everybody wants to acquire my relievers. Yeah. I think you have to be a little if you're Alex Avila, you have to be a little careful here. It's almost you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You've got to be careful when you one. when you throw that's an old one. <laughs> you gotta be careful when you when you start doing these these overhauls and not overreact to a year like this. Because the old story, you're not always as good as you are when you're the best team in don't the world. You're not Lang, always as bad as you are. Give up Soto. Yeah. Is I, your point. Not, that, that's your point. Exactly. I'm not giving up sure. Lang. I'm not giving up a dude with five years of control. No, that's really good. That's good. And you know what? It's probably not the worst thing for Alex Lang that he's kind of going through this right sure. now in a team. He's When this team is good, he's going to be able to look back in his first year and go, God, this is gravy compared to the crap that I was putting up with in my first year. So I, I'm with you. I, I I would love if they would consider moving him. I I just can't see that. I can't see that happening. But boy, it really Joe is Jimenez, true. Will Vest, Soto. I take him in this bullpen. It really is true. The manager's only as good as his players. It's the truth, Jeff. AJ Hinch supposed to be a really good manager, right? How many games? How many games under 500 are they? AJ Hinch was a great manager when if he was he, filling in. Let's see. Uh, El Tuve. Well, there you Bregman, go. That's my that's my Springer. point. Every yeah. time you yell and scream about the manager. If the players that you have aren't being the players that you think they're supposed to be, your manager's going to look bad. Caleb Joseph is one of our Blue Jays central analysts. He is, of course, a former catcher with the Blue Jays. I would be willing to bet that Mr. Joseph was watching Yusei Kikuchi's no question. start last night with an eagle eye. We'll talk to him. About what he saw from Yusei Kikuchi, Danny Jansen will talk about the trade deadline. Gabriel Moreno is now the number one prospect, according to Baseball America. What does that mean? We'll get Caleb Joseph's thoughts on that. Barker's back leg bits as well. It's a Friday. The Jays are in contention. The trade deadline's closing in. You don't, really don't want to be anyplace else in New York right now. It's Blair and Barker on 590, 360. Sportsnet Radio Network and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.